A squid eating dough in a polyethylene bag. That's not the kind of thoughts I'd like to keep. A harmonious stage. Ratchet buds burst. You look dandy in the sky. Welcome to Track by Track presents Trout Mask Replica. My name is Joel Bacher. I am guest hosting for Darren Husted. As we go track by track through Captain Beefheart and his magic band's legendary 1969 double album Trout Mask Replica. Uh, today we are discussing China Pig. China Pig is, and if I were a professional I would have had this document up beforehand, but I'm opening up right now. China Pig is track 11, fifth track on side two of Trout Mask Replica. This was recorded in the Trout House in Woodland Hills, California, uh, sometime in 1968 or early 1969. The exact date of the recording is is uh, unclear. Personnel on this track is Doug Moon on guitar. Un- unlike every other song on the on the album, it is it is Doug Moon on guitar and Don Van Vliet on vocals. Only the two of them, guitar and vocals. Length of the track is four minutes and two seconds. Uh, my guest today is a uh, North Carolina-based attorney, Paul Dickinson. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joel. Thanks for having me. So um, th- the first question that I usually ask of, of people on the show is, um, what was your first exposure to Captain Beefheart? And uh, what kind of stuff had you been listening to prior before you before you experienced his music? Uh, I, I thought about that um, because you had told me you were probably going to ask that question. Um and I, I'm able to narrow it down pretty good to the fall of 1975 when I was 15 years old. Uh, and I know that because that was the first season of Saturday Night Live. And I had met a friend of a friend who was much older than me at the time, who was in fact married and had already graduated from high school who had his own house outside of Tampa, Florida, where I grew up. Um, And we went over to his house one night to watch one of the early Saturday Night Live episodes. And I was warned by my friend who was taking me over there. Um, Now, Mike, Mike Knapp, who I'm sure will probably hear this, um, knows the story um, that uh, warned he's going to play you a song when you get over there to determine whether or not you like it or not. And uh, sure enough, Mike was one of the first people I ever knew to have his own stereo room in his in his little house. And he brought us back there and played Orange Claw Hammer off Trout Mask Replica. Wow. The first Captain Beefheart track I ever heard. And um, I, I, I actually liked it. Um, it uh, admittedly, it took me a long time to completely understand and uh, appreciate the entirety of Trout Mask Replica. Um, the, the shortly after that, in '75 or '70 or you know early '76, when I was still in high school, um, I, I know that my first Captain Beefheart album that I purchased on my own was Safe as Milk, um, followed shortly after that by Clear Spot. Um, and um, I 
soon after that, got a copy of Trout Mass Replica. And uh, very honestly, uh, at the age of 15 or 16, I was not able to get through the whole thing um, <laughs> and, and appreciate it for what it was. And, and I bet I put Trout Mass Replica aside for probably a decade, at least before, um, before I really attempted to get into it again. Um, and now I think it's one of the greatest albums ever recorded. So I, I have to ask about your, your friend, Mike, was this just like his acid test for anyone coming in that they have to, or did he just want to show off his stereo system? Well, it was, it was kind of both. Uh, Mike was a, was a big fan. He is currently the art director at the Museum of Science and Industry in Tampa and uh, an accomplished um, visual artist. In fact, I have one of his orig originals hanging in my office now. We're still friends. Um, and um, he had a, he was, his talent wasn't at the level it is now. He's, he's extremely talented. Um, he had a, uh, his own painting of the cover of Trout Mass Replica hanging over his sofa in his in his uh, living room where we sat and watched uh, Saturday Night Live. So he was wow. a, he was quite a fan uh, at the time. Uh, but yeah, it was a it was a litmus test, uh, which I passed and he and I became uh, good friends and still are good friends. Um, and he has an even more extravagant and impressive uh, man cave stereo room now um but that was my first exposure to uh to captain beefheart and trout mass replica um i i know that i had around the same time i had a copy of, of hot rats which of course has um captain beefheart on the willie the pimp track mm -hmm. um that i liked um uh, my first um frank zappa concert was probably in 19 i think it was in 1978 uh, and i was able to the same group of friends went to that show there's a picture of us sitting in the in the crowd waiting for frank to come on and we were able to meet frank after or before the show and i got frank to sign the cover of hot rats for me um it was my it was one of my fa my favorite frank zappa album probably it's a great album and that's fantastic that you got him to sign it that's so cool um, I, I think actually, yeah, Willie the Pimp was probably the first time I ever heard Van Vliet's voice, certainly, because I, I came to Beefheart through through Zappa, as, as a lot of people do. Uh, the, the question has come up on a few episodes of this show. If you're a fan of Trout Mask Replica, what's a good song to play for someone who has never heard it before that is not going to immediately send them running away screaming that is is gonna like entice them to listen to the rest and i really feel like orange claw hammer is not a bad choice like there's it's it's unusual in that it's one of the three acapella songs but it's also very beautiful especially by the standards of of this record so I, I, when I was discussing uh, with when David Lipson was the guest, when we talk about Orange Claw Hammer, I'm recording this all out of order, um, and and we discussed that there's a there's kind of a, a soaring beauty to that track that makes it not not a horrible. I mean, the, the recording quality is a little rough because it's recorded on cassette tape, presumably, but um, in terms of playing it to someone for for their first exposure to this album. It's it's not a bad way in. Uh, just a couple days ago, I was discussing Pina uh, with Steve Froy, and we both agreed Pina would probably not be a good place if you don't if you want people to actually listen to the rest of the record. Maybe don't dump them in at at Pina. Uh, agreed. Um, 
you know, orange claw hammer has a lot of what trout mask replica is. It's a, it has part of the, you know, this, the bush recording um, mm -hmm. aspect to it. Um, you know, as does China pig, China pig was recorded on a, on a portable cassette player um, in the trout house. Um, at least according to, that's what John French has, has said mm -hmm. um, about it. Um, and China pig is unlike any other track on the, well, you could say that about every track. On, that's very on true. Yeah. Replica, um, which is one of the, one of the appealing aspects of the, of the album itself. You know, the, you, you did mention there's the three acapella, uh, basically poetry reading type tracks like orange claw hammer. Um, every other track is unique, uh, standalone, and it's unlike any other track on the record. Uh, China Pig is like that. There's nothing else like China Pig on it. Um, and I think it's interesting that Doug Moon uh, was asked or, or somehow got involved to play guitar on this because Doug Moon harkens back to the original uh, Magic Band that were on uh, the A&M singles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he um, was one of the, the two original guitarists, I think. It was him and Alex St. Clair, I think, were the two two guitarists that, that uh, were in the Magic Band up until Safe as Milk, at which, from from what I understand, Van Vliet kind of jettisoned Doug Moon and, and uh, brought in Ry Cooter into the band. Yes, correct. And Ry Cooter left after having to deal with Don. <laughs> I, I can't say I blame him based on the stories that I've read. Um, I, I adore all of this music, but he certainly does seem like he was um, a challenging person to to uh, work with on many different levels. A absolutely. I mean, this is this was Don Van Vliet getting back to what he and and Frank used to listen to, and then you know at Don's house when. You know, the stories are he'd call out to his mom to bring him a Pepsi because they were listening <laughs> to these rhythm and blues 45s. Um, this is, you know, this is Johnny Lee uh, Hooker, Helen Wolf, you know, Sunhouse, uh, all of those people. This That's what China Pig is. And it, it certainly feels like an improvisation. French says that Van Vliet had some lyrics that he was reading off from a sheet of paper, which is certainly entirely possible. There's there, according to various reports, he had just tons of, of pages of transcribed poems that he would usually make Jeff Cotton be the one to, to write down and keep track of. Uh, but the, the music and his response to it feels like a spontaneous extemporaneous, uh, um, improv. Yeah, and there's a there's a little extended version of it. I think that's on the Grow Fins collection. Um, mm -hmm. That's longer than this. Got that has a little bit of banter, um, and you still hear some of that on the on the track that's on uh, Trout Mask. There's a little more banter going back and forth on the uh, uh, the Grow Fins set. But I don't know of another another version or another recording of this. And if uh, if John French's version is correct, which was it, it was just recorded on a, on a cassette player spontaneously, then that would make sense. Um, I, it is on um, one of the sort of gray market bootleg live uh, CDs, Hoboism, uh, where Don plays uh, harmonica in the middle of it, where in the middle of the track where he goes, as, he gives his hoo-hoo-hoos. 
Oh yeah, what, his 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 there. whooping. Yeah, there's uh, that part he, uh, on the live version that I've heard. He's playing a harmonica. It's a little bit longer. Um, I don't I don't know of another version of it that would have been a a rougher version than what made it onto the album. No, yeah, th- this does seem like uh, a a first take, best take situation. I I don't think they spent a lot of time workshopping this track before it before this uh, version of it was was recorded. I'll have to check out the the Hopoism version. I I did I wondered if they had ever done this song live because on the one hand it's very off the cuff, on the other hand it's an excellent springboard for a blues jam like a a full band version of say the spotlight kid or clear spot era band could have done a really great full band um uh arrangement of this and tune i can't, re- I I can't remember did. what i can't remember what era band it was that, that's on hoboism that that uh that recorded it um but uh, and it and interestingly it um one of his uh one of don's uh, paintings is entitled China Pig as well. Um, so he's he's used it more than once. Uh, you know, of course, it's there's a band, you know, it's there's a there's a there's a band, a blues band called China Pig. Uh, the White Stripes did a cover of this. Um, it's um, White, the White Stripes uh, did a pretty good cover of this, I have to say. Covering Beefheart yeah. is is always a, a tricky proposition when when I've spoken to uh musicians who have have worked on his i'm always intrigued to hear how they approach um a beefheart cover some are obviously more challenging than others a lot of this this trout mask material and lick my decals off material is is fiendishly complicated whereas something like uh you know i'm gonna boogalerize your baby is not necessarily as as challenging but his personality and the what makes the magic band so special and distinctive is so strong throughout all those recordings it's an interesting challenge to come to it as an interpreter and uh i i remember it's been a while since i've heard it and i may pop a clip of it in here if i can find it but i remember thinking that the white stripes did it i was impressed by their version of china pig because i i wasn't sure it was a song that could very very easily or adequately be covered aspects of it i think mm-hmm. um it's um you know there's few people that can that sort of get into the the, the howlin' wolf uh sunhouse don van bleet uh kind of focal range that exists uh muddy waters um you know lots of people uh try it i don't think many succeed uh jack white was it's obviously a big fan of captain beefhearts yeah, they did an EP that was, I think it was Ashtray Heart, China Pig, and I can't remember the third song that they covered, but they did a little little EP that was a bunch of Van Vliet covers, and I know he's he's discussed 
uh, the influence of of uh, Don Van Fleet. You can certainly hear the like um, the kind of uh, mutated version of the blues as as a starting point for for the White Stripes as 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 well as the Magic Band. They arrive at different places, but that they're still they're coming from that R and B base. And you know, Jack White's Third Man Records did the 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 reissue of Trout Mask, which that's um, right, which really is a a well well done project. Um, they took the um, uh, the the remix that uh, was in the Zappa Family Vault that had been released on CD some years before that was a good mm-hmm. a good remix and put it on put it out on vinyl, um, and it is. It is a really well done project. Um, it's uh, the sound quality is fantastic on that. Oh sure, I, I know Third Man does a, a lot of really great uh, work with with reissues and and remasters. It's it's funny. I've uh, talked to a few different people. Um, my first exposure to this album was on CD rather than on vinyl, and so. It, it, it's it's interesting the difference of experience is interesting to me because for for me the whole album always just flowed as one kind of big extended explosion of music like there was no breaks there was no pauses it was just you know from Frownland through to veterans day poppy just this kind of uh kind of blurt whereas with vinyl you get those you at least get the little breaks of the the side flipping the side and you could kind of decide like Am I up to the next side, or am I, or have I had enough? Am I done for a while? So it, you said it took you, um, you you set this one aside for about a decade before t- deciding about, to tackle I mean, it again. I might, I, I would, pro- I might t- have taken it out and and played a track or two, or you know, I would take it out and I would take it out and and play Orange Clawhammer, um, mm-hmm. and um, and maybe listen to a side and put it back. But I, I'll be very honest. I did not love it to the to the degree that I do now, and think that it's you know that, that it's not toppable uh, for a good ten years. And, and I think that was more because I just didn't I didn't put the effort into it um, at the time. Um, I was you know there was there was other Captain Beefheart records that were more accessible. Sure. Um, and uh, I was doing a lot of catching catch up at the time. You know, this was my in, in 1975, 76, you know, uh, the majority of his, what you would consider his best work had already been released. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me, it took me a, uh, a decent amount of time to, uh, to get into mirror man as much, uh, as well. Uh, mirror man is, uh, has, has some long meandering tracks on it. Um, I think, I, I think it's really good now. Um, but Mirror Man was an album that, uh, it took me a while to completely get through and appreciate. Um, yeah, Mirror Man is, is the, the challenge with Mirror Man is, is less the, the, um, the, the tracks being kind of spiky and discordant in the way that the Trout Mask so frequently is. But like you say, the length of the tracks, it's such a, it's such a, ch- a change or, I mean, obvious Mirror Man was recorded prior to, um, uh, Trout Mask. It was the the strictly personal uh, era band, but that comes to you in a brown, plain brown brown rapper, right? Project. 
Yes, for for the listener who doesn't know, the original idea for the Mirror Man and Strictly Personal Records was that um, Don and the band wanted to record a double album called it. Was it brought to you in a plain brown wrapper? Was that it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And one of the albums was going to be the shorter tracks, and one of them was going to be the live extended uh, versions that you hear on the Mirror Man um, album. Which now that I'm saying that, I always presumed they were live, but I'm not. They may have been live in studio. I'm not sure. Um, well, it's interesting you say that. I the, the favorite way for me to listen to Trout Mask is when I'm in the car alone on a long drive, uh, and it, some people would think that's torture. Uh, to me, that's the, <laughs> <laughs> that that's the that's the best way uh, for me to experience Trout Mask, and I've done that dozens of times. Um, we, I mean, there's there's nothing but you and Trout Mask replica, and there's. Um, there's no interruptions. Like you said, listening to it on CD, you're going from, from the first track to the end of the last track. And, uh, it's, um, it, it allows you to, the other thing it does is allows you to concentrate and listen and hear the interplay of the musicians and the, and, and Don it's, uh, and knowing that everything that they're doing is intentional, that it's supposed to be that way they practice it to be that way you know because i think everybody's you know first impression when they listen to uh to trout mask is you know they're not even trying they're just playing Mm. it's just they're banging on their instruments what is this noise uh until you realize what the uh the intent is and then you you then you can hear the the different musicians and the different instruments interplaying off each other and the and the you know how they all blend together and there's there's actually a uh a, a rhyme reason and purpose uh to how they play things it's the uh, the, the melodies and the chord changes it's, it's remarkable it's impressive to know that they were able to do all that it just i takes think a lot of practice <laughs> an insane amount of practice the amount of work yes. that that these young men put into preparing this record and rehearsing these songs and being able to play them the same way every time, despite the the overlapping polyrhythms and the the polytonality is and and the fact that here fifty plus years on we're still talking about it and every time I listen to it I I hear something I didn't notice before like there there's so much music packed into every few seconds of this album that every time I I sit down and listen to the entire album beginning to end i'll hear a little guitar part that i've never caught before or i'll suddenly notice the way the bass part on one track will be in a completely different time from the drums but then when they get to the end of the bar they're both back together in a a different groove it's there's there it's just this constant font of creativity to to the point where it's I'm doing this entire series attempting to unpack it in various ways and, and still coming horribly short in terms of discussing what really makes this so, so special and unique. The, the, the interesting thing is that you think about what this band was and then what the band was just a couple of years before this. Yeah. Um, the, 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 where they started, I mean, they were, Oh heck, they were they were on American Bandstand with Dick Clark. You know, there's the there's the 
uh, I don't know if it was American and Bandstand, it was the Dick Clark show when he had the when he had Don Van Vliet call in when they played Diddy Wah Diddy and yep. everybody was dancing to it. Um, he was on the Shindig show, uh, playing on the beach. Um, they were, you know, they were, uh, I've got, I have a, uh, a mimeograph sheet from, uh, from a radio station in Palmdale, uh, where Diddy Wah Diddy was the number one, number one track on the song, uh, on the hits on the top 40 in Palmdale for two weeks in a row. I mean, they were they were on the verge of being successful, very successful and popular. Uh, and I think it's Doug Moon on the Under Review uh, documentary talks about how they were being compared to the Rolling Stones, and they were mm-hmm. uh, a lot of their a lot of their you know their set was similar to the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones' first album was only two years before. The Diddy Wah Diddy single came out, um, and then they go from "Safe as Milk" to "Unconditionally Guaranteed" to "Trout Mask Replica." The the change started with the you know the plain brown rapper sessions, um, mm-hmm. and you know I, I I definitely think that strictly personal is a step down from "Safe as Milk," but you can easily see the transition from you know to from "Safe as Milk" to to strictly personally, you can see how that transition's going, and the and the and they are um, sort of morphing the the blues into something even more psychedelic and and, and stretching it out, mm-hmm. and and then you get to Trout Mask Replica, and the song that we're we're supposed to be talking about, China Pig, then takes Trout Mask Replica and the you know the pure blues all the way back to you know before Diddy Wah Diddy. Right, uh, where it's just Don Van Vliet and Doug Moon on an acoustic guitar, uh, singing about, um, you know, his his China piggy bank that's sitting on the mantle that he's trying to get coins out with a fork. Uh, I've always, uh, yeah, on on China Pig, and yeah, like you say, it is, it, it's it is a, a pre Diddy Wah Diddy blues. It's it's hearkening back to the 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 oldest tradition of of the Delta and Piedmont blues uh, singers. I think that it from from what I've read, he and Moon were initially kind of screwing around with the Mississippi John Hurt tune Candyman, and uh, Van Fleet gave him the instruction that you hear at the beginning, which is something like play one of those kachunk kachunk kachunk, which Moon interprets into the you know this uh, hooker esque blues groove for which he received no writing credit which is is kind of unfortunate considering that he's quite clearly coming up with that that guitar part on the spot uh and then to to overlay it with these uh, these lyrics that a, a great mix of the surreal and the quotidian on this track because he is singing about like you say his his piggy bank i don't want to kill my china pig but he's uh, giving it a a kind of um, and not exactly a sentience, but he's definitely blurring the lines between a piggy bank and an actual pig. In the I used to have my pig go with me. We walked for blocks. The fact that he refers to it as killing the china pig rather than breaking it open. Uh, he said he saying he fed the neighborhood. There's you know he's paying for it from the money from the china pig, but you know he that also implies uh, implies a barbecue. Uh, one little girl used to put her fingers in his snout. So he's, it's this, um, 
if he is coming up with this on the spot or, uh, uh, you know, in kind of imp- improvising it off of a uh, some previously and previously extant poem, his ability to spontaneously mix together the very biological images and also images of you know, like you say, it, taking it's it's a song about taking the piggy bank off of the shelf and busting it open. And, getting out the money he has an ability don van vliet had an ability to write lyrics that were simple and complicated at exactly the same time um you know, lots of people you know talk about frank zappa and don van vliet frank zappa and captain Beefheart. they were friends they grew up together um they played together um you know frank zappa is the producer on this album. Um, Frank Zappa is, you know, by far a, a much more accomplished mu- musical talent and musician, much more accomplished in the ability to write and arrange music. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the level of, of lyrics that are in their two songs, it's, it's not even close to comparable. Uh, Frank is at a third grade level and Don Van Fleet's the <laughs> PhD level. That's a that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, that that is one thing that I mean I, I'm aware as as a Beefheart fan and as someone who's who's listened to these albums over and over again, I, I am I'm conscious of of the brilliance of his his lyricism and also his uh his phenomenal way of of twisting those words with that that astonishing instrument of a voice. But in going through this project, where I'm going through this album track by track, it really does stand out that every song on this album has some just breathtaking imagery in it. Things that stand out in it as just so clear in the mind's eye, a mixture of humor and and uh, kind of surreal, disturbing imagery and stuff that's very, you know, run of the mill mixed in. Um, and yet all standing out with the with the clear clarity of a uh, an oil painting Just certain certain lines in the song that he went to school with a little red box and immediately you've you got the the image is just formed in your mind just based on his uh, the the few short few short words the the tail curled five times in a circle round it's glazed just picking on these details to create create these uh, gorgeous snapshots. Even if this track, he's it's it, there's a, a bit of surrealism in here, but it's relatively straightforward by by his his standards. Something like some of the imagery in Pina is describing stuff that really does not make any literal sense, and yet it stands out so clearly in the mind's eye when he's well. In that case, Jeff Cotton, but but when you're hearing the lyrics. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, some, some of his lyrics, you know, he, he obviously I thought matured as his albums were, were released. Um, and what he was able to do with, with his, with his songs. Um, you know, everybody talks about how bad, you know, unconditionally guaranteed, and blue jeans and moonbeams are, 
there's some really beautiful written songs on those albums, mm -hmm. uh, especially, especially lyrically. Um, you know, some, some things that are, uh, and you're, heck, he has a song called Peaches, which, which is a, a fun little track. And mm -hmm. you think about the same, you know, the, the same, pretty, pretty much the same band that's on Unconditionally Guaranteed uh, is playing Peaches. A lot of the, some of those band members are on Trout Mask Replica. I, I have wondered about that because I've, I have occasionally to, to part the curtain a little bit in terms of, of producing this podcast. I've, I've occasionally had the idea of like, uh, oh, I should do a little like graphic of myself um, in the style of the, the Trout Mask cover, but instead of holding up a fish mask, I'm just holding up a copy of the album which I may still do. But then I was like, where could I get one of those green coats? <laughs> and th those are not readily available. There's a few of us crazies out there who are, uh, who obsessively collect Captain Beefheart uh, records and memorabilia things. Um, uh, I know that there's at least four or five of us in the world that do it. Um, I, I'm, I, I have one of the largest collections of Captain Beefheart records and memorabilia in the world. It's kind of crazy. If there were any way of traveling right now, I would basically already be booking a flight to North Carolina to come and visit your house because I'm so, so just like my palms are actually a little sweaty just thinking about the all of this material. So I'm suffice it to say I am extremely envious of your collection. And I think that's that is a, a monument to be proud of that you you are are maintaining all of these archiving all of these these beautiful and brilliant uh records and photos and and uh, posters and and all of the all of the memorabilia related to this this really singular band i made a my wife and i made a trip to new york earlier this year to the michael warner gallery they had a uh, uh, uh don van fleet uh, exhibit up there mm -hmm. i'd never seen i'd never seen one of his works of art before although i have I have every catalog from every exhibit he's ever had. Um, and I, right now in my office, I have, I have a big art poster that I got from, uh, from the Michael Werner uh, exhibit in Cologne, Germany, where he had, uh, this was in 1994. Mm -hmm. And it's just a, the standard to be discontinued uh, exhibit. And uh, I have that in my office, and it, but uh, I'd never seen an original oil, and um, and I said, told my wife, I said, "There's a, I want to go to New York." She said, "What do you want to go to New York for?" I said, "It's crazy." I said, I said but <laughs> and she knows, she knows I'm a Captain Beefheart. My whole family knows I'm a Captain Beefheart. That they talk about it, you know. Right. My my daughter who just started buying records, she'll go into a record store and go, "Do you have any Captain Beefheart?" And they'll look at her like. <laughs> Why are you asking? She's she, she's just you know just over uh, twenty three and uh, yeah. you raised her right, man. You raised her yeah, right. Yeah, I raised her right. She knows who Captain Beefheart. Anyway, when I when we walked into the uh, so we went to New York. I told my wife. I said, well, there's a Captain Beefheart art exhibit and Don Van Fleet. And she said, okay, let's go. We went up there for the weekend, and uh, of course, I was my my palms were sweaty. I was going mm -hmm. up, we were going to New York. This was right before everything uh, in COVID shut down. I think it was, mm -hmm. in, I think it might've been, in, it was in either February or March. Um, and it had just opened. Um, and um, 
we went up there, took a cab, went there. I was like really anxious, butterflies in my stomach going up to the, uh, uh, to the gallery. And have you ever seen one? Have you ever seen one of Don's original no. works of art? Uh, not in person. Never. No, it is. Um, we were there for four hours and there's, there was probably 20 works, 20, 25 works in there. I couldn't leave. Um, they are, uh, the size number one is, um, massive. Um, and the, uh, the, the work that he puts into them, you cannot appreciate the, the brushstrokes, the thickness of the paint that's on the canvas. Um, some of them were on wood. Um, it was, and I would just stand there and stare. I, I told I told my wife and said I may start crying when we go into this place. <laughs> I can relate, man. I can relate. <laughs> so, so there there's few of us out there. You 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 understand exactly what I'm talking about. Oh yes. No, I've um, I've seen I've seen reproductions of his his paintings. I've never seen one in person. I've heard they're much much larger than you would than you would expect, just based on looking at pictures of the paintings. So, someday, hopefully, when things open up again if things open up again i'll get the opportunity completely yes he uh, he was uh, critically acclaimed as a as an art as a visual artist as a painter uh, separate and apart from anything that had to do with him being captain b park um yeah, that's that's pretty clear um and there are other there are other musicians that are that paint and that draw and that, mm-hmm you know, produce things. Um, nobody's ever done anything like Don Van Vliet did. They, they, nobody makes the jump, makes the jump from one career to the other. Um, it, it, you could almost say he was more successful as a painter than he was as a, as a musician and, and, a, and, a, and putting out albums. His, his production uh, as a painter was far more successful for him than anything he did in, with a record company. Um, so when Darren hosts the show, he rates the track at the end of the show. Um, I say on every episode that I rate every track on this five out of five, because I don't believe that it's possible to really compare them to anything. Um, but if you would like to rate the track, uh, out of five, you can, uh, Samuel Andrea flipped the script. He rated, uh, uh, Pachuco cadaver 10 out of five. So really anything goes as far as ratings. Um, and if you have, uh, anything else you'd like to say about this track or anything in particular you, you would like to signal boost or, uh, like to plug, uh, Mr. Dickinson, the floor is yours. Well, um, uh, I cannot, I cannot thinking about it. I cannot think of a track on trout mask replica that I would rate under a five. I'm like you, I just, where, wh- which one are you going to pick that says it's not a five, um, standing, even standing alone because um, they are, they're collectively a, a, a five and uh, individually they, and, and, and frankly, when I had the opportunity to pick a song, a track off the album, I picked Tannic Pig because I, I think it's one of the stronger tracks on the album. It, and I'm going back to which, you know, how do, how do you give them any kind of hierarchy? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think it is, I, it, it goes, it harkens back to the, the, to pure blues that, that Don Van Vliet grew up on. So I, you know, I, I like it for that. Um, 
It's no orange claw hammer. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything else to plug, Joel. Uh, I I appreciate it. Um, well, it's been it's it's been really fun. I certainly greatly appreciate your time. Uh, if you want to follow, uh, and you, the listener, would like to follow uh, Track by Track on tr- Twitter, we are at underscore Track by Track. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, it is at Joel A. Bakker. That's B-A-K-K-E-R. Uh, Mr. Paul Dickinson, thank you again so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening. <laughs>